welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I, I want to start what I'm about to share tonight with a little story of something that happened recently. And my kids are involved in the world's greatest youth group there is on the planet, which is just amazing. And they have some of the greatest youth group leaders on the planet, which is fantastic. And one of those leaders was dropping off my kids and, uh, you know, he came inside and uh, got himself a cup of tea or whatever it was. And uh, we said, oh, thanks for that. And uh, he proceeded to leave and uh, we just saw him off and, and uh, got on with our dinner and there was a knock at the door. And it was the very same illustrious youth leader that had just dropped our kids off and said, my car uh, is not working. And so, you know, we couldn't really help him. I'm just not a mechanic at all. And so um, he proceeded to make a few phone calls. I think, he, I think he phoned his dad. Is that right? He phoned his dad. I wasn't going to mention who it was, Sean, but you answered. So, um, and so Sean, we'll call this guy Sean. Uh, AKA Barry, and um, he phoned his dad, and uh, who's actually here tonight. Oh man, this is not looking good for you. Anyway, um, he, he phoned his dad to come and help him start his car. And, and while he was waiting for his dad, he came in and had some dinner and all the rest of it. And his dad proceeded to come and got the jumper leads out, you know how it goes, and uh, hooked the car up and started Sean's car. Which is fantastic and it's fine as a one-off. But I'm sure um, Barry's dad would get a little bit annoyed if he had to just keep starting Barry's car. Because it would be a drain on his time and it would also be a drain on his car. And it got me to thinking, how many people... How many Christians are a lot like Sean's car? <laughs> that need a jump start every time they want to do something. Yeah? They need a jump start every time they want to do something. Um, and I just want to say that, you know, that's fine. We are here to help people get started in life. But, you know, if we have to help you jumpstart your life every day of your life, one, it's going to get really annoying because it's going to be a real drain on our time and it's going to be a real drain on our energy. People who need a jumpstart are always using other people's time and energy. And the result is that people end up resenting you because they see you as a bit of a time waster. And the person who always requires the jump start ends up resenting people because they're no longer getting the start that they were hoping for. And it's usually about then that they go to another church to prey on a new group of people who don't know that they're just about to be used. Yeah? Am I talking to the right people tonight? And I got to thinking, just imagine if there were no such thing in the world today as jumper leads. Imagine if all we could do is actually get about fixing the car. 
I think the world might be a little bit of a better place. Which got me thinking that God wants us to be self-starters. Too many need someone to start their life every day. They need somebody to come alongside them and help them read their Bible. And you know what? As a mature Christian, it's a privilege for that person to come alongside an immature Christian and do that for a season. We'll do that for anyone for a season. But when you've been a Christian for a number of years, you you need to be able to read your own Bible for yourself and get your own revelation. God is looking for self-starters, not one who always need to have a jump start in order to get on with life. The Bible says in Joel, it says, let the weak say, I am strong. It's our responsibility to do something about the life that we've been given. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about tonight, is becoming a self-starter. We want to become people that know how to start and motivate themselves. And so to do that tonight, I want to read out of 1 Kings. 1 Kings is found in the Old Testament and uh, it's an account of different kings of Israel many, many years ago. And uh, there was one king in particular and his name was Solomon. And to help me illustrate my point tonight, I'm going to ask my illustrious helper here to robe me tonight as I get into character and embody the spirit of Solomon tonight. And so I don't know if uh, Solomon would wear something as wonderful as this, but uh, there you go. So think of me from this moment on as King Solomon. I'm sure Instagram's going to have fun tonight at my expense, but anything to get the Word of God out there. Look at them all. Look at you all. Look at this. There we go. Look at them all. Look, just, just ridiculous. Okay, just take that. Have your photos. There we go. All right. Over here. Just There we go. Okay, cool. Look at you all. Look at you. It's awesome. And so I want to read out of 1 Kings chapter 6 as I sit on my royal throne. How am I looking? All right. Great. So we need to get rid of the jumper leads and become self-starters. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7 says, Now the Lord my God, this is Solomon speaking, having been put into an incredible position, and this is where he finds himself. Now my Lord my God, You've made your servant king in the place of my father David. But I am only a child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours. I don't know about you, if you've ever prayed one of those audacious prayers that God would do something incredible in your life or with your life, 
And lo and behold, He answers your prayers. And now you have another problem. I wasn't ready for this. That's the story of my life. As a young man, I would cry out to God that He would do great things, that He would shake all that could be shaken, that He would rend the heavens and come down and do some incredible things in my life and in my time and through me. And He's answered many of those prayers. And what I found is every time He's answered those prayers, I found myself in uncharted territory and I found myself not knowing what I'm doing. And so I found the very blessing of God becomes a bit of a curse because now I'm out of my depth. Be very careful what you pray for. Be very careful what you ask God for. Because if He answers your prayers according to your desires, you more than likely will not be ready for it. And then the test is going to be on you as to what do you do with that moment in time? Do you just whinge and complain and blame everyone and everything? Or do we embody and the, the, the spirit of a self-starter? What I love about this character, Solomon, he's a man that's been incredibly blessed. He was born into royalty. He was born to King David. He didn't ask for that. It was thrust upon him. There are some things in this life that you're not going to ask for. They're going to be thrust upon you. It's going to be out of your control. And here's Solomon, this young man. He was just born into this royal position for such a time as that. His father passes away. A number of his brothers tried to rise up in rebellion against his father and become king. David would have none of it. He recognised that it was Solomon who was the anointed one to be king of Israel. And so as a bigger privilege as that is, I'm sure Solomon's thinking, that's great. But now what do I do? Maybe for some of you, it's like, all I want to do is get married. And now you find yourself married. It's like, okay, I've scratched an itch. Now what do I do? I, I, I've got to look after this woman. I've got to look after this man. I, I, I've, got to, I've got to try and uh, be a husband now. I've got to try and be a wife. Now. now what do I do? We thought we were ready, but we weren't quite ready for this. And I believe there's some things in what uh, Solomon highlights that can be incredible, incredibly helpful for us to become self-starters. I'm just going to highlight three things very quickly tonight. The first thing that stands out to me about this young man, Solomon, is that he was self-aware. In order to become a self-starter, you must first be self-aware. Solomon, in all his splendour, I'm not used to being king. Solomon, in all his splendour, had a problem. But he knew where to look. And he didn't look at everybody else. That's where most of us go wrong. At the first sign of a problem, we look at everyone else and blame everyone else. 
Marriage counselling would be a lot easier if people just started with themselves instead of their partner. What I love about Solomon in this story, he says, I'm only a child. And to be honest, I don't know what I'm doing. In other words, he knew who he was and he knew what he lacked. That's where self-awareness starts, knowing who you are and what you lack. Marriage counselling would be so much easier if the man in the relationship said, I'm the husband, I'm the head of the home by God's design, but I don't know what I'm doing. Any person who's been involved in marriage ministry or marriage counselling would know that a person like that is easy to counsel. And this young king, instead of strutting his stuff and blaming everyone for everything in his life, he realised that his biggest problem was him. In actual fact, I believe your biggest problem is the person that you look at in the mirror. If you can deal with the person in the mirror, you will overcome any of life's problems. Solomon says, I I, I don't know what I'm doing. Anyone who can come to the place where they recognise that it's not everyone else's fault, but it's that I don't know what I'm doing is on the path to becoming that self-starter. Because self-starting starts with self-awareness. Do you know there's great churches around being led by some great people. The problem is many of those great people leading those churches should not be leading those churches because they have not understood who they are and what they've been gifted with. See, there's a difference between a gift of mercy and a gift of leadership. When God wants somebody to lead a church, do you think He's going to call the person with the gift of mercy or the gift of leadership? The gift of leadership. But we think if you have a heart for people and you have a merciful heart, then surely you're the person who should lead a church. Not so. You need a gift of leadership if you're going to lead a church. And so when you are playing out of position and your mercy gift does not have the strength to lead people and make tough decisions and, and, and help people through, there's going to be problems. And so it is in our marriage. And so it is with raising children. As parents, it's so easy just to blame the kids. They don't do a thing I say. Maybe, just maybe, the thing you're saying isn't worth listening to in the first place. Can you imagine if every one of us had a moment of self-awareness about our limitations, about our lack? If we are to become the self-starters God wants us to become, it starts with, number one, 
self-awareness. Which brings me to my second point, and that is self-leadership. I love Solomon because he not only recognises that he's only a child, he not only recognises that he doesn't know what he's doing, But what we see is what he doesn't do, and that is go into the corner, eat worms, and cry and complain. But he does something about his situation. That's self-leadership. God is not going to do for you what he expects you to do for yourself. Your pastor is not going to do for you what you need to do for yourself. Solomon says... God, granted I'm only a child, granted I don't know what I'm doing. And then he says, will you give your servant a discerning heart? In other words, he knew where to go to get what he needed. What are you doing about what you don't know And where are you going to get what you need? This is self-leadership. What are you doing right now to lead yourself through your circumstance or your situation? Are you the person who's just running from pillar to post, running from this person to that person, complaining about your situation? Or are you empowering yourself with the right information you need to lead yourself through your situation. Can you imagine the husband that is struggling to lead his wife? He has that epiphany. He's become self-aware. He has now the opportunity to empower himself because there are a stack of great books out there on how to be a good husband. So instead of complaining, I don't know what I'm doing, I can go and find out what to do and empower myself to lead myself through the situation. Is this making sense? There are conferences galore for your situation. There are books, there are tapes, there are are not tapes anymore, there are messages on iPod, there are MP3s, there are all those forms of technology out there that have the answer to your need. Your job is to find it. I believe there is an answer for every problem that you will ever face in this world. And it's your responsibility to go out there and find it. Solomon knew what he lacked, but he also knew where to go to get what he needed. Do you know where to go to get what you need? Maybe you need to go to a person to ask that question. Where do I go to get a good book about this? That might be the starting place for you. But then you still will have to read it. And, and uh, which brings me to my third point, that of self-discipline. In order for us to become a self-starter, we have to first be self-aware. We have to embrace self-leadership. But then we need the self-discipline And self-discipline is that ability to put the above two things into practice on a regular basis. 
What I love about Solomon, he not only had the wisdom and the self-awareness and the self-leadership in place, but he also had the discipline to put into practice what he knew he needed to do. In other words, part of self-leadership is gaining knowledge, but wisdom is the right use and the correct use of the knowledge that we gain. It's no good for us to complain about our situation and recognise that we're only a child and we don't know what we're doing. Yes, it starts there. It's no good us then getting a book and reading about what we need to do if we never put it into practice. It's no good us coming to church week after week, hearing these messages week after week, if we don't actually embrace self-discipline and put into practice that which we know. Being a self-starter means being self-aware, embracing self-leadership and being self-disciplined. This is the result of Solomon putting those three things into practice. King Solomon made an incredibly wise ruling as a young man. In other words, he was able to do what he was previously unable to do. And I want to pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I had a baby while she was still with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one else in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was still asleep. She put him near her breast and put my, her dead son near my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that he wasn't my son that I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, this one says, my son is alive. Your son is dead. While that one says, no, your son is dead while mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they bought a sword for the king. He gave an order, cut the living child in two and give one half to one and one half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my Lord, Give her this living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, neither I, uh, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. 
Then the king gave this ruling. You've got to catch this. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Let's just back up a little minute. Not too long ago, this king, this boy child king was saying, I'm only a child. I have no idea what I'm doing. But instead of sitting around and waiting for someone else to jumpstart his rule and reign, he implemented some self-leadership. He knew where to go to get what he needed. He put that wisdom into practice. And when the moment of testing came, he made this incredible ruling. And he was able to do what he was previously unable to do. Can you imagine that moment where two women, prostitutes, come before the king? Two prostitutes, one baby. They come before this boy child king. He's singing, I'm only a child. I don't know what I'm doing. And now I've got two prostitutes and one baby. You might not ever be confronted with that scenario, but it does equal this, confusion. We'll all experience confusion. And you've got these two women saying, my child is the live one, hers is the dead one. The other woman says, no, my child is a live one, hers is a dead one. No, my child is alive, hers is dead. No, my child is alive, hers is dead. No, my child is alive, hers is dead. It was his fault. No, it was her fault. No, it was his fault. No, it was her fault. No. And this was going on. And in the heat of all this going on, he says, get me a sword. This young boy child king, he's lost it. Can you imagine the servant singing, he really does not know what he's doing. (laughs) This is what he could have done with that sword. Just killed the two women and shut them up. (laughs) We do that all the time. Maybe not with a sword, but with our words. Killing people all the time. Just get rid of the problem. He didn't do that. He could have got the sword and just fallen on his sword. I'm out of here. This is too hard. (laughs) He didn't do that. They're the two extremes. People today are taking their life. Suicide is on the rise. I think to date we have the highest rate of suicide amongst teenage population in the world. People are taking their life. They just want out. They're opting for out. It's too hard. Or they're doing the other extreme, just blaming and killing everyone else. It's all everyone else's fault. Don't bother me with your problems. But this young king comes up with a stroke of genius. 
He says, how about we cut the child in two? Now, you've got to play this out. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know how far he got into this little scenario. But maybe this child was stretched out. Two men, one holding two feet, the other holding two hands. And King Solomon is standing there saying, are you a breast man or a leg man? Which do you want? <laughs> Wing or leg? I have a warped imagination, I know. But it's why I enjoy the Bible so much. I don't know how far into this little scenario it got. I don't know if the blade of the sword was on the belly of the child. I don't know. But this I know. The mother, the real mother, couldn't stand it. And she cries out, no, don't do it. Let the child live. She can have him. And the other one said, no, cut away. Neither I nor her will have this child. Now, if you had got to that moment, who do you think the mother is? Where did that wisdom come from? It didn't come from Solomon. It came from above. It came from heaven. It came from God. Solomon, though he didn't know what to do, he knew where to go to get what he needed. And when he was put in a position to do what he was called to do, lo and behold, the answers were there. This is what I call being a self-starter. I know the simplicity of this message. We can miss how profound it is. But can you imagine if we applied self-awareness and self-leadership and self-discipline to our lives? We could get through any problem, any circumstance, any situation. Can you imagine someone who's a little bit overweight and they, they want to get in shape? Can you imagine a little bit of self-awareness? Instead of blaming your thyroid, instead of blaming everyone else and the food that your wife cooks, instead of saying, look, I, I, I'm overweight. I, I've been putting things in my body that are unhealthy and unhelpful to the way I want to look. Imagine adding to that scenario a little bit of self-leadership and we get the advice we need, the food we need to eat, the exercises we need to do, and then we put into practice the self-discipline to put into practice what we've just learnt. You can change your life. Can you imagine a husband and wife that are on the brink of divorce and instead of blaming each other for the rest of their life, the husband said, the truth is I haven't been a great husband. And he gets some books about how to be a good husband and has the self-discipline to put into practice. He's halfway there. 
And imagine the wife in this case. She says, well, I, to be honest, haven't been the best wife. And she gets some books and empowers herself how to be a better wife. And she puts into practice what she's learnt. Do you think that they can work through their issues? I do. It's a lot better that than going for counselling after counselling after counselling, doing nothing with it and just wanting a jump start. Get me through today. God wants us to be self-starters. He wants us to move from where we are to where he wants us to be. But we're not going to do that by people just jump-starting us for the rest of our lives. Now, I don't mean to be unkind. Because there is a place where we want to get alongside and help people in their time of need. Absolutely. All of us need the help of another from time to time. But for the most part, there's some things we can only do for ourselves. And so as our musicians come, I'd count it a privilege and honour just to pray with you and for you tonight. I wish I had a magical wand. I mean, with all this, you'd think it would come with a magical wand, wouldn't you? I just don't have a magical wand on offer. And, and I thank God for the church and I thank God for His Son and, and I thank God for what Jesus has done and the incredible power that's available to us who believe. But not even God will do for you what He expects you to do for yourself. God's not going to read your Bible for you. Yeah, we get, we, I'm happy to stand with people and pray but I can't believe for you. I can stand with you and, and from a distance I can believe for the great things. But essentially it's going to come down to what you believe and what you think and what you do. All this is an incredible resource. But we can't do for you what only you can do for yourself. We might be able to offer some incredible advice we may be able to lend a hand from time to time. But please do not become a casualty, as so many have, of using and abusing resources like the church. And once we've used all we can, then we go somewhere else to get something else we need because we didn't apply a process to our life. You know, the interesting thing about that story that I shared during our time of worship I mentioned how we prayed for a young woman whose son was born blind. And miracle of miracles, God healed that child. And she came to church and gave her life to Jesus and it got some exposure in the newspapers. It was an incredible event. You'd think after an event like that, she'd be in church forever. You think she'd never complain about anything again. You think she'd be able to hold on to this story for the rest of her life. And that story alone would get her through every situation and every circumstance she ever faced. Sadly, not true. We don't see her anymore. And there's a very good chance her son, who now sees, has no idea of the miracle that took place in his life. I don't know. I mentioned that the week earlier we lost a friend. But the amazing thing about that story is this young man that I buried, I married him only six, seven months earlier. And the young man that died had a brother. He was also in our church. 
He didn't get his miracle. He didn't get his need met. God did not come through for him at that level. That was 16, 17 years ago. But the brother to the young man who died is still in our church today. His name's Des Lim. I think we as a church have been there for him. I think we've done some things for him. But essentially, he's done some things for himself. This is the way God wants us to live. Not having to rely on everyone else to start us on every day of our lives. Christianity 101 starts with getting real. I'm struggling. I don't feel like coming to church today, Lord. But I've read your word enough to know that I should be there. So I'm going to go today in faith. And we lead ourselves to church. And we put into practice what we know is the right thing to do. Christianity essentially looks like this. One day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day someone said something really bad about you and you felt like giving up on life and everyone, but you're faithful nonetheless. And you thought in your faithfulness it was going to get better, but it just got worse, but you're faithful anymore. This is what the Christian life looks like. One day you wake up and you're faithful. The next day you wake up and you're faithful. 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 Then you get into a bit of a rhythm. You know what? I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. And then one day you wake up and you're fruitful. You think, wow. Are you kidding me? I never dreamed, hoped to even imagine this would happen. And at that moment in our life, we don't go into retirement. We don't write a book on our success. We just get up the next morning and you're faithful again. And you get up the next morning and you're faithful again. Because it takes faith when you're going through a tough time. Annette knows all about that. It takes faith. But you know what will test you just as much as a hard time? Success. It takes faith to handle success. And do you know what will test you just as much as hard times and success? The middle where there's nothing happening. You need faith. And you know what will test you just as much as those three things? When you're just waiting. It takes faith. And so whether you're successful, be faithful. Whether you're going through the worst moment in your life, be faithful. Whether you just find yourself waiting to get married, be faithful. Waiting to get that dream job, be faithful. But I'm confused. Okay, in your confusion, be faithful. Do that long enough, you'll be fruitful again. So, wow. You do that year after year, you begin to accumulate all this fruit. 
And some guys then write a book on all the fruit. But unfortunately, with every autobiography and biography, for the most part, they leave out all the faithfulness and the waiting. And they just fill their books with all the fruit. And we're led to believe that they experience those things every day of their lives. But it's not true. I love being married and I'm happily married. I love being married. But in the midst of this happily married scenario, there's lots of mundane. I mean, in our marriage, it's like, wow, that was, honey, that was an incredible day. But some days are just, just a good day. What happened? Man, it was just a good day. There's some days I come home from work and I think, oh, honey, you should have seen it today. It was amazing. I mean, last week was one of those weeks. Every day there was something happening. The cafe was packed and the kids and the this and the that. Oh, it was amazing. But there were other days, I said, how was work? I said, well, it's work. And in the, ah, it's work. I was faithful. Oh, amazing. Faithful. Ah, work. Faithful. Hey, honey, how was work? Don't ask. Faithful. <laughs> this day never happened. We're going to forget about this day. Faithful. Paul Benithan has been married for 40 years. There's only one way that can happen. Faithful. Faithful. It's not no arguments. It's not always seeing eye to eye. That's not what marriage is. It's being faithful. Christianity is not always having your prayers answered the way you want them answered. That's not Christianity. That's a lie. But being faithful. And the faithfulness comes from a place of love and commitment. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.